I would like to welcome my good brother up here, Pastor Jay, who's not going to fire me today. Please welcome him. Amen. He's got the word of God. Love you, brother. I don't know. What do you think? I think he's fired. That was great. Is this microphone working? Yes? A little bit? Okay. I love that. And I agree with him. He's lost his job. And this is why. I have watched Pastor Dan grow significantly over these past several years. And I know many of you have as well. He has been stepping into his role as minister of Christ. Minister of the gospel. He's, he's not been limited to the defined roles. He is really growing into his identity in Christ. And I've been so blessed to watch that happen. So thank you for taking on that, that calling fully that you have, Pastor Dan. Love you. Love you. Recently, we sent out the, uh, the giving uh, letters to you all who, uh, who've been given over this past year. And it was, it was fun for me to be able to write that to you, um, looking, at the, looking at the numbers, giving you your own you know, particular reports, but just looking at our church body and to see the continued generosity of God's people that he has been building in here over time. I just want to take a quick moment to pause and just, just thank you for being faithful to the Lord in a challenging season. We've been, we've been giving overseas. We've been giving here at home. We've been, we've been giving in many ways. You guys have been faithful in your tithes and offerings. It's just been a, such a blessing to see the staying power of the Lord's grace that has been imparted to you through this time. So I just wanted to commend you for that and rejoice in it. You guys are a very generous household. You are giving people. We have that history. We want that to continue. And we know that, that giving comes out of recognizing that the Lord is our provider. It's an honoring of who our provider is. It's a, it's a recognizing that. And we, we don't just give of, of our finances. We give of all of our resources. We're giving our times. We're giving our talents. We are, we're giving the first fruits of all the increase that he gives us back to him to honor him. So this is one that we can actually track and have, have measure of. And I just want to be able to say, well done. You guys have been doing a great job with that. And I want to also let you know that we have a seminar that's coming up on March 6th. It's Saturday. It's going to be on Zoom. It starts at 10.30 a.m. And it's called, this is a great title, Get Your Stuff Together. <laughs> now this takes... Another approach to the stewardship principle. You know, we've, we've lost uh, several loved ones here uh, within the church over the past many years. And we never know when death is going to come. But what we can do is we can prepare our families and one another for that time. And some of us never get around to actually taking those steps. And they're very practical steps that can be taken. Some of us don't even know where to begin with that. And we have some really wonderful, faithful individuals here within the body who have been working at this for a long time. We have a lot of experience in this area, and we want to be able to share with you the principles and the checklists of things that you can be doing now that are going to be a benefit to those who are left behind you as you leave. 
That could be your kids, that could be your spouse, that could be friends, other loved ones. God has given you resources, and he intends that when you depart from this place, you can't take them with you, right? But you leave behind an impact on those who are left behind. And you don't want to overcomplicate that thing. So we want to make that as simple as possible and equip you to be a blessing to those who are left behind you. So we're encouraging, really, all adults to come to this workshop. It's on Zoom. It's something that you can pre-register for. Uh, This isn't just for a 55 and older crowd. We never know when these things are going to happen. And hopefully, for our young families and, and young adults, it doesn't happen for you for a good long time. However, you also have parents. And they have to be equipping these things too. Those are good, important, challenging conversations that we can have with our parents to make sure that things are in order. So if they were to pass, you would know where things are to be able to um, to move forward with their estates and all that. So these are, these are practical things that we want to do in the stewardship of the resources that God has given us. So I'd encourage you to come to those. Right, come to this workshop again. That's going to be March 6th. That's a Saturday at 10.30 a.m. on Zoom. We're going to send out the details to that in our regular communications, so look for it to come. And I, please, again, I encourage you to sign up. A long time ago, we had some will clinics around here that have really helped a lot of our people begin to take some establishment in this area. I think this is going to be a really uh, a much more effective workshop because it has a very holistic approach to it. So I want to thank uh, those that have been involved in that. Tim and, uh, and Tim Frank and, and Keith Wallace uh, have been spearheading this. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Well, today I'm going to be continuing in, in some of what Pastor Dan has already laid out here for us this morning uh, and an, another step in towards that. But I want to start it off with, uh, with talking about someone many of you have heard me speak about before, and that's, that's my dad, my father. Um, I love my dad. I, I, I love who he is. I love who he's been. He's probably watching this right now. If he's not watching right now, he'll probably be watching later on today because that's, that's who he is. He, he checks in on us and, and uh, wants to be a part of what God's doing here in this work. But I love my father. My father is someone that has really taught me about a great many things, but when I look at the core of who my dad is and who he has become in the Lord, his commitment to love is at the core of his being. Now, my dad, as a young man, he would tell you, was an angry young man. Had a lot of frustrations, had a lot of hurts, had a lot of things that he was wrestling with. He was a very active young man, um, very, uh, very athletic, very strong. My dad could always do just about everything. See, he's just very capable. And he was, he was an angry, frustrated young man before he knew Jesus. When he came to Jesus, God changed his life. And I believe it was at that moment he began a journey into understanding more and more about what it means to love. To love practically. To love from a motivation. And I know that he stumbled with things along the way like we all do. But I look at my father now and I am so pleased and grateful for the man of God that he is because he represents the father so well in his his interactions with other people. Is he perfect? Of course he's not perfect. But he's being perfected by his Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. So I just want to take a moment to honor him. Because I didn't know him when he was a young man before he knew Jesus. 
I did know him as a young father. And I watched the efforts that he made to love us practically. Things that he gave up so that he could have a relationship with us. Things that he chose not to do so that he could choose to be with us. My dad has always been somebody who had... You'll find him if you're in a, if you're in a big party with people. Where's dad? Not in the middle of the room. Dad's usually going to be off on the corner someplace with one other person just talking to them. And you could find them three hours later talking. Because he was always interested and is always interested in what is inside that person. What the value is inside them. Helping them see that value. Teaching them the things that he knows. Connecting with people. I've loved watching him take the strays that would come to his job sites. He's a general contractor. Come to his job sites. Guys that were pretty rough and tumble. And I watch him walk them through their journey of growing to maturity. Many of them ended up coming to the Lord because of the way that he practically loved and cared for them and showed them value. He put the, the heart of the Father on display. And I've watched as he's gone from that young father to he's, a, he's an old father now. Sorry, Dad, you're an old father now. <laughs> but I love the wisdom and maturity with which he is able to speak about a great many things, and it always comes back to love. I speak with him recently, and he was saying, the question he asks himself whenever he's going into a situation with somebody, whoever it is that's coming before him, no matter how challenging of a personality that is, no matter what's going on there, he always asks, Lord, how do you want me to love this person? Wouldn't it be great if we all asked that question when we were dealing with one another? Father, how do you want me to show your love to this person? So we're going to talk about love today. If you haven't noticed, you've probably heard us saying, we're getting back to some basics here at our Father's house. I've loved what Pastor Steve's been doing already taking us through the Apostles' Creed. This is basic, foundational, Christian understandings of what God has done. What is it that we believe? Why is it that we believe that? Let's talk about the foundational, elemental things. And I can't think of much more foundational or elemental thing for me to bring forward in this season than, than love. Love is core. It is essential to everything that we do, everything that we are in the body of Christ. We've got to start there, continue there, and finish there. So we're going to go through love. And I've, it's interesting, I was looking back through my, my series of notes over the past years. I, I don't know how many times I've, I've spoken on this topic yet, and it keeps, it keeps coming forward. And I was actually thinking about that. Man, Lord, I feel like I'm getting repetitive about this. But then I just felt this encouragement. You can't talk about love enough. You can't talk about this enough. And every time I go back into these scriptures, I find more. And more gets pulled out. And so I'm going to do a a survey of scriptures today. They're going to take us in and and really look at how the consistency of God speaking about love through scripture. 
and looking at the example of Christ and what he calls us to in love, which is, which is actually, as we many of us know, another step beyond what Pastor Dan was talking about today. Not that that's an untrue, but Jesus is calling us to something that's deeper and something that is a higher call. Let's start here in 1 John 4, 7-21. through 21. You're going to hear a lot of scripture today. So get your Bibles out, open up your apps. God's been calling us this year to a commitment to Him, to His Word, and to one another. And as we're, we're digging into that, it's important for us to be able to find the Lord in His Word and have a relationship with Him in His Word and be able to know where you found that in His Word. So let's go through this. Apostle John, here he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. There's, by the way, there's so much packed into this passage that we're about to go through. And now we're going to look at evidence of it in other places through Scripture. But this is such a succinct, boiled-down man that has walked with Jesus intimately, personally, and continued to walk with him for decades through his life as, his, as he ministered wherever Christ sent him. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they, can, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There is so much packed into that passage there. The reading through it, you're probably considering other passages of Scripture that echo these same things. John has said many of those things. We'll be in some, some of his, his other work today. But let's, let's start with this. God is love. It's his nature. It's his nature. His nature is love. This entire cosmic drama that's been playing out over endless Tracts of time is proving that God is love and that he is good. 
It always comes back to that. When Moses was having his discussion with God in the tent of meeting, he wanted to see his glory. What did God say? I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to let it pass before you. Come come back tomorrow. Here's your homework assignment. Come back tomorrow. Get the stone tablets ready because we're going to do this thing again. And I'm going to pass before you. And here's what he says in Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And the Lord passed in front of Moses and called out, The Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Loving devotion and faithfulness. Maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations. Forgiving. Transgression and sin. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. When we get to the end of this, we're going to get to what Paul says about love. And you're going to hear those same themes coming out. Because God is love. And he proved his love by sending his son to die for our sins. As an atonement for our sins. All of history has moved to that apex of time where Christ hung on the cross... The God-man, the intersection of it all. God proving his love for us by sending himself to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Because he loved us so much. And he defeated death there on the cross. Resurrected the third day. Showed victory. And he welcomes us into the life that he has. Because of his love. John 3.16 and following. Don't stop at John 3.16. Keep going. It's really good. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of Of God's one and only Son. In Romans chapter 5, we have this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. That's a big statement. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, thank you Pete, earlier this morning, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God knew that we were going to sin. He wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. He already made a way before time even began, before he created the world, he made a way for us to come back to the Father. And that's by Jesus Christ, his son, on the cross, doing what none of us could, and welcoming us in. Now, reference that Pastor Dan shared the greatest commandment this morning with us in the Samaritan story. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 13. This is, this is in his last major teaching moment before going to the cross. His last major teaching moment with his disciples. We find this in John 13. So this is after, um, after Judas leaves. It says, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Pay attention. King of the universe is speaking. A new command. This is important. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He just took everything that was there in the, in the previous statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And collapse that into one. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's calling them to a higher demonstration. He's calling them to a sacrificial love. He's calling them to a humble love. He's calling them to something that's beyond what the expectation was before. He's lived his life in front of them. He's been training them this whole time. He's actually loved them. We're going to get into some of that in a little bit here. He's actually loved them in a very real and practical way. And he's saying, as I have done and demonstrated love to you, That's how you're to love one another. He goes on from there. He starts promising about the Holy Spirit coming. We can't love unless we have the Holy Spirit. We can't do the the acts that God has called us to do without the Holy Spirit. We can't evangelize the world without the power of the Holy Spirit. So he promises them that. And then he tells them in John 14, this is still part of the same sitting, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. Remember Jesus saying, God sent me. The Father sent, sent me. I'm going to be sending you. And I'm making a way for us all to be connected together. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the, the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit who's going to come not just to be with you, but in you. In you. He goes on from here. I'm skipping a little bit ahead into John 15. This is a passage of scripture I cannot get away from. You probably have those yourself. If you don't yet, you anticipate. God's going to find a passage of scripture that will be one that you just keep circling around to over and over in your life. And each time you find something new in that, that brings life to you and gives you something to pour out to others. Maybe part of your life message. The vine and the branches. I'm going to read John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the, wor- the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Some branches are picked up, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm going to pause right there. Jesus is declaring that he is the vine, we are the branches, and we are to grow, finding our nourishment in him. He's making a way for us to find our life in him, through him. And he's saying, apart from me, you can't do anything. Remember, he's there to put the nature of the Father on display which is love, right? He's been talking this whole time about love. He's asked, he's, he's basically saying, you demonstrate love for me by being obedient to me, by following my commands. And what is the command I just gave you? To love one another as I have loved you. The basic command is this, love, love, love. How do we remain in him? How do we abide in him? By following his command. Love. I was listening to Bill Johnson recently and he says, <laughs> said this. Your reward for bearing fruit is pruning. <laughs> it's not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. The, the, the alternative there is you don't produce fruit. He said, that just makes you a stick. 
and you're gonna, it's going to get burnt, right? But if we remain in him, we remain in his love, fruit does produce in our lives, and the Lord's reward for that is pruning because he wants to make it that much sweeter, that much more potent, that much more powerful. There's, there's fruit, he says, that's pretty good there, but I'm going to snip that one off because this one's better over here. We felt that in our lives. I can no longer do that. That, was, that wasn't a fully matured expression of what I was supposed to bring forward there. Thank you, Lord, for that pruning. He does that because he wants to produce greater fruit in our lives. But it all is living and abiding in love. And we can because we live and abide in Christ. As the Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. This is Jesus teaching his life is the pattern that we are to follow. He says, I follow his commands. You follow my commands. I've been obedient to him. I told you, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. They're going to see the Father because they're going to see me in you. All the way up here. Everything is always towards the glory of the Father and his nature is love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that you may, your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's the second time. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Third time. You know, we had a gathering yesterday, and Tim Frank pointed out, when God says something three times in Scripture, he really is emphasizing that point and wants it to to come home. And here's Jesus in his last, final significant teaching with his disciples. He's giving them a new command. He says it three times. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I'm the pattern of love. What you've seen in me, that's what you're supposed to go and do. It's greater than what had already been considered the greatest commandment. Remember when he was asked, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then Jesus one-ups it. I've come to fulfill all of that and show you an even better way. A year ago, this weekend, I went back and checked. A year ago this weekend, I preached a similar message with you. And we had a foot washing ceremony at the end of that. Do you all remember that? I'm not doing a foot washing ceremony today. Heads up. But I do want to review the foot washing that he did. Because this is the first thing that he did in the teaching that we just spoke about. This is a living example that he had just given his disciples when he goes into saying, 
love one another as I have loved you. We have to think about the the context of what is being shared with that principle because Jesus did a practical demonstration for them. This is John 13. It was just before the Passover, Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What does that mean? He loved them to the end. This is a, a Hebrew expression that's been translated to the Greek, and so it doesn't make a whole lot, and now it's been translated to English, so it doesn't make quite a bit of sense to us. But it can be understood as this, having loved them, he loved them to the utmost. That's what the expression is, is trying to convey. Having loved them, he loved them to the utmost. I had a note in here from last year when I went in this, and I said, my, my son Benjamin had a saying at the time, and that was, I love you all the way. He loved them all the way. Here he is in this, this is the, this is the final point, right? He loved them all the way. Having loved them, he loved them all the way. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the pretext there is he had already loved them all the way. He knows his time has come. Time for the final teaching. So here he is. He humbles himself in the position of the lowest servant to wash the dung and dirt and everything else off their feet. These are the men that he'd been traveling with and journeying with for years now. And he washes their feet. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who's going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. What does that tell us? He washed Judas's feet too. He knew it was about to happen. He washed their feet. Didn't matter who they were, he washed their feet. He served them. Now, he was not diminished by coming in low. Jesus, confident, fully knowing his identity, chose to come in low because that's what love does. He served. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, his clothes, put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So we've been talking about love today. Remember the commandment that he gives them right after this. It's very practical. As I have loved you, that's how you're to love one another. I mean, these are the same guys that were saying, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? Who gets to sit at your right hand? Is it me? Is it going to be me? And he's saying, you need to come in low. You can fully know your identity in me and come in low because love serves. Love is humble. And then from this is where he goes to humble himself to the point of going onto the cross for us. The king of the universe chose. Chose. Remember, he could have decided not to. He chose to come in and pay the penalty for our sins. And he called them, and he's calling us, to love the same way he does. Romans 12, we see this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another, how? Where? Above yourselves. Jesus came in with the towel in the basin, low, washing their feet. The dung, the dirt, the nastiness that they had, the sweat, everything. Washing that journey off. Blessing their feet. And he tells us the same thing. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. If you, if you honor everyone as above yourselves, it doesn't matter how low anybody is, you can come in lower. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus calls all of us to keep coming in low. It's what the Father did in sending His Son. How did, how did they expect the Messiah to come? To the palace, right? To the high places? To come in with military might? To come in with force? To enforce the law? To free God's people from the Romans? They were anticipating a great military commander But everybody's perspective was off because God had a deeper and higher perspective than all of it. So where did he send his son? To a young girl 
and her husband who is willing to follow God, even if it didn't make sense, in a stable in Bethlehem, where the lambs that were brought for sacrifice were born and raised. God had a totally different idea. And he hasn't changed that idea, by the way. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. This is at the end. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and he came to visit me. Sounds an awful lot like the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did... For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. For the least. If we come in low, it doesn't matter how low or least or lost anyone anyone is. We get to honor them as above ourselves. That's how God sees this. That's his strategy. To reach the least and the lost and the lowest. Because his people will always be willing to go even lower. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That is a sobering, sobering passage of Scripture. Pastor Steve last week talked about the Imago Dei, the image of God that every human being carries. We are to honor every human life because God said, you're my image bearer. When God decided to make us in his own image and likeness, we all carry that. And we have the distinct honor and privilege to honor that whether someone is a Christian or not. But when it's a Christian, 
We honor things at an even deeper level. Because you're not just an image bearer. You actually carry the Holy Spirit with you and in you. And we are united by the Spirit. We are the body of Christ. And Christ identifies with his body. This passage is speaking about immorality. But the basis of the principle is one that I want to, come, I want to get across. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in what? Spirit. That's at an even deeper level. Flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are... This is, this is profound. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The principle here, that if you're in Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, is one that we need to carry with us. That's not just a principle, that's a reality. That's part of our identity. This body. If you're in Christ right now, I want you to just consider this. Really consider this. The body that you are in right now is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Think all the way back to Abraham meeting with God and God giving him the promise, the covenant relationship. He said, as numerous as the stars in the sky is the nation I'm going to make in you and through you. And then we see when Moses is there in the desert, he starts in a tent with the Lord. When he's leading the people, he'd already met God. But then we have the tent show up. And then we have the tabernacle show up. And then we have the temple that shows up. And we go through multiple iterations of the temple. And then the temple's destroyed, and we understand this now. God's temple is you. It's your body. You carry him around in this mobile temple wherever you're going. And he's saying, you need to honor that. Think about the imposing figure that the temple was on the mount. And it housed the presence of God. And the innermost place of that was so holy they could go in there one time a year. And he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we interact with one another, we have to remember that's another temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't only have to honor the image of God, that is in them inherent because they are a human being. I must honor the fact 
that they are another temple of the Holy Spirit, carrying the Spirit of God around with them. I am to honor that in my interactions with them, and I am to demonstrate love to them. Remember, when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It's a very similar question to, when, when did I persecute you? You're persecuting my body, and I identify with my body. There is a real weight to the way we interact with the world, especially with one another in the body of Christ and how we demonstrate love. Not coming in high, not coming in hot, coming in low and slow. First Corinthians 13. I think this is my father's favorite passage of scripture. So I'm going to read it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. What did God say about himself? Long, long, long time. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And for now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And you go all the way back to Jesus speaking there in John 15 about abiding in him, abiding in love. Everything that will matter are the things that are done in love. Anything that is done outside of love is going to burn. It will be tested in the fire. It will be found wanting. Love must be our motivation for the ways that we handle every situation that comes before us. I am not batting a thousand there. But I know that God is faithful. That if I keep giving him my yes and I keep pressing in and I keep saying, Lord, forgive me, I repent again. Let me learn your ways. 
Let me put you on display, Lord. I'm sorry once again for my pride. Thank you for bringing humility. I know that he will continue to transform me and prune off that fruit that doesn't need to be reproduced so the other good fruit can keep growing. This is a season that we have been in where we've watched an absence of love in many cases. Some of us have participated in a lack of love. Some of us have participated in demonstrating love and care and kindness to one another. The Lord is always going to call us back to his standard of love. And his standard of love brings transformation, it brings healing, it brings restoration, it brings reconciliation. It takes broken things and makes them new. It takes broken people and brings in new life. It brings in the life that God has intended for them. We get to be participants in that. Remember... The mystery that had been revealed is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're the mobile temple. He's sending you out to bring his glory and his love and his goodness into every sphere of influence he has deployed you into. And the more we align ourselves with him, the more effective we are at bringing his glory into those realms. Setting captives free and creating more temples of the Holy Spirit to go and do his work. It's communion time. I want to first say this before we do communion. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, know this. He is the Son of God. He came to earth to die for your sins. There is nothing that you have ever done in your past or will do in the future that he has not already paid the price for. He loves you unconditionally. And there's nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to do it. Generations of people died living in the law, proving they couldn't be good enough to do it. And Jesus came as the one sacrifice that had been prepared before the beginning of the world to die in your place. And he did it willingly. And he did it because he loves you. And he was proving that his Father God loves you. You can choose to continue in life on your own way and it will only lead to destruction. And that is the situation we are all in when we're born into this world. But we all have a choice. We can choose to surrender to him and receive the gift that he gives to us freely. And that is himself. And life in him and restoration with our Father. That we would have eternal life stepping out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's paid the price. God rose him on the third day to prove that he has victory over death.
If there's anybody here who has not yet received Jesus, I'm going to be on the side over here after service, and I would love to pray with you. If you're online, we've got a, a text line that you can, you can send a text to, send an email. We will have someone pray with you and connect with you. Because it's, it's what he came here to do, to set you free, to bring you to new life. How God always, always, always had intended for it to be. If you're in Christ and you recognize that you've been living below your inheritance, what he gave you, you can recognize maybe there's some times this year I should have demonstrated love better. Know that he already forgives you. You can humble yourself before him. Repent and continue forward with him in grace and truth and new life. It's part of the pruning, folks. This has been a pruning year. When we do communion, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. That's what this, this wafer or a cracker or bread or whatever it is that you have. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. As a sacrifice, a demonstration of his love. And a new covenant came forth because of his blood. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you chose before time began to come and pay the price for us. I thank you that you you demonstrated the standard of love that you call all of us to. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you gave to us that we can walk anywhere close to what you did. We thank you that we get to be part of your body because you laid it down for us. You poured out your blood. You gave up your life for us so that we could have life in you. I thank you, Jesus, that you made the way to the Father. I thank you that you've taken us out of darkness and into light. And I thank you for the glorious future and inheritance we have with you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, eat and drink. Our ushers will come by and pick up your discarded cups. At home, I'm sorry, we don't have ushers there for you. You're going to have to use your trash can. We are journeying this year, like I said, into basic foundational principles and truths that we as Christians need to own. Because we are in a time where it's very important for us to walk in them, to grow in them, to be solidified in them, and have those old things dusted off so they come in new life to us. God's calling us back to those basics. He's calling us back to Him. Don't forget your first love. If you've forgotten your first love, spend time with Him. And you'll quickly remember why He's your first love. Will you please rise?
Is there anybody here who needs healing in their body? Anybody here who needs healing in their body? Just raise your hand. Okay. We've just taken communion. We've celebrated the blood of Jesus. We know that by his stripes we are healed. Those that are family around them, uh, those that are nearby, you can extend hands toward them. If your family, put your hands on one another. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that it is by your stripes that we are healed. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for your grace and for your goodness. And Lord, we ask right now for your healing grace to be released in this room and every room where people are watching right now, Lord. Father, I ask that you would bring healing, you would bring restoration, Lord Jesus, to backs, to, uh, to arms, to legs, Lord, to, uh, to nerve pains, Lord, things down in the, in, um, in the base of the spine, Lord Jesus, that you would bring restoration, you bring healing. Lord, I ask right now that you would bring clarity of mind to those that have, have been experiencing fogginess right now, Lord Jesus. I ask that you would, you would uh, free their minds, Lord Jesus, that they would have clarity, that they have clarity of vision. And Lord, even folks that are having challenges with their eyes right now, I ask, Lord, that you would bring restored vision. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your demonstration of love that you left here as a, as a standard for us to walk by. And thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. I bless everybody who's in the sound of my voice right now, Lord. And I ask right now that you would show us how to love better. Lord, I ask that you would bring us opportunities to love better. And I thank you that you've already supplied the grace for us to walk in that. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let us be known as your disciples by your love. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Love one another. Amen. Amen.